front of venture. That doesn't mean that you don't have other thoughts. So you'll have five thoughts every day on what new venture to kind of begin, but you shouldn't really be spending any clock cycles on operating any one of them. So I have all sorts of routines to move that out of my head to be slightly more bored or actually <laughs> into focused. So Dennis, no, don't start a retail bank or don't start a Uber for whatever in lower Manhattan or don't do any number of other things that you kind of disliked this morning. So I try to do the, uh, the opposite. And one of my tactics for being slightly bored is that uh, I live on Wall Street, so I take the subway up to the end of Manhattan, no iPhone, no podcast, no music, no nothing. Then I walk all the way back and it takes me about three hours. And that's just the way to kind of uh, put everything Force. into the right boxes. So that's a forced boredom. So boredom doesn't always have to be bad. There can be strategic boredom in order yeah. to pull you away and give you that time to think. I think some uh, would call it uh, meditation. I just can't figure out how to do that. As in, uh, I can't sit in my uh, living room for 10 minutes and just kind of do nothing. So I'll, right, I'll but do if, the, uh, the... I, I like, I like that. I like the difference between boredom and, med and meditation. There's probably a very slight distinction between the two. Maybe wow. you drink a little bit of Red Bull during your meditation. It brings you to the boredom, right? <laughs> Could be like only two Red Bulls for, for my meditation kind of uh, setting. Awesome. Well, we are not officially sponsored by Red Bull, but if Red Bull would like to jump on as a sponsor, and if you're listening now, that's totally fine. We're just having some quick banter before we get going about what it means to be bored. And why would we talk about that? It's because today we're going to talk about the opposite, which is how CEOs stay super productive all week. And a big part of that is recognizing when you're not being productive. So my name is Ryan Fullen. I run a company called Influence Tree, and we help people build their brands. And one of the things that I love to do is listen. And that's why I jumped on to be the host of this amazing podcast, the Startup, I'm sorry, the Scale Up Heroes podcast. It's brought to you by the Scale Up Academy, scaleupacademy.io, uh, and essentially, what I enjoy doing is kicking off the show, listening intently, and then wrapping it up with some key points in the end. And today is one of my favorite topics, which is about how to stay busy. And so we've got a number of individuals who are all in executive positions from around the world. And today we're going to be talking about just that. So Mike, who is the master, the, the brains behind this whole operation, he's going to be leading people through this conversation as our moderator to help pull out the tips and tricks to be more productive as a CEO. Because if you're a startup going to scale up, it's important. If you're a scale up and you're stressing out because you're growing too fast, it is also important. So Mike, I'd like to hand the mic over to you and you can take it away. <laughs> thank you very, very much, Ryan. And thank you for, for the panelists who are joining us today. Uh, it's an amazing uh, honor to have you all and to learn more about how you guys stay productive uh, all week long with so much to do. So let's start with uh, a round of intros. Uh, Christian, so who are you and what does Paddle? Sure. I'm a founder and CEO of Paddle. Um, we're a 140 person. And we build uh, recurring billing and like back office infrastructure for other software and SaaS companies. So dealing with all the kind of the boring stuff that isn't building your product, um, things like uh, taxes, recurring billing. Um. Uh, 
it seems there are some issues on Christian's connection side. Not sure if all of you are having uh, the same trouble that I'm having. So Justin, would you like to go next and while Christian tries to recover from it? Sure, yeah, my name is Justin Fitzpatrick. I'm co-founder and CEO of a business called Doodle. Um, Doodle provides predictive company intelligence. So what we do is bring together billions of data points on private companies and the people behind them. And then we build applications on top of that data to help our customers uh, identify opportunities and mitigate risks. So we're about 75 people, all based in London. Um, we've raised 30 million pounds roughly from uh, Augmentum Capital, uh, which is a uh, London-based fintech fund, Notion Capital, which is a London-based uh, pan-European uh, enterprise software investor, and um, Oak Investment Partners, headquartered in New York. Well done. Uh, thanks, Justin, again. Um, Dennis. Sure. So I'm based out of New York, but I'm obviously not uh, from here. As you can hear, I'm uh, Danish, but uh, landed in the city about 10 years ago when we sold our prior prior venture to uh, Yahoo. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called X.AI. We spent the last four years trying to bring to life these two intelligent agents that can schedule meetings on your behalf. So that when Christian comes to New York, he can shoot me an email and say, hey, Dennis, I'm going to be in the city. Have you got time to meet up? I can simply reply back and say, sure, I'm up for a Diet Coke. I've seasoned in Amy. And she can help find some time on my calendar when you're here. And then the agent is smart enough to kind of understand what I just asked it to do, remove me from the conversation, reach out to one or more participants, and negotiate a time and day and location, and upon conclusion, send an invite. And that's not really anything which you haven't seen here before, right? As in, either you hired a PA to do that task, or you just did it yourself. And certainly, most of us on the call here, I think, as entrepreneurs, will be too frugal to hire a PA. So that means we'll sit in our underwear at 11 p.m., trying to kind of manage our calendars on our own. We're trying to remove that little chore. And we've spent uh, certainly the hours of a good 55 plus people in Manhattan and about 70 people in Manila under the umbrella of about $40 million raised over four years and three months. And I think we're off to a reasonably good start. Well done, Dennis. Um, and what about you, Daniel? Hey there. Um, I'm Daniel Higgerty. I'm the founder of Habitat. Um, we are a business in the UK that helps consumers remove some of the kind of horror and pain of trying to get a mortgage by digitizing that experience and taking it online. Um, we are now about 125 people, all based out of London. We've raised over $50 million in venture capital um, and now kind of represent maybe 1% of all of the mortgages originated in the UK. So and that's that's been the last two and a half years. Well done. Um, oh, Christian, let, let's see if now we can hear you well. Should we see if this works again? Is it any better? Yeah, it's, it's him so, yeah. Cool. Uh, so I'm Christian. I run a business called Paddle. Uh, we're about 140 people in London. We've raised about a $25 million to date. Uh, and we build a software platform for other software and SaaS businesses. 
um, to manage everything from payments, recurring billing, taxes, uh, kind of all of the back office, boring stuff that isn't building a product. Well done. So as you see, uh, four amazing companies and four amazing guests with us today. And yeah, let's let's jump into the topic. And uh, how do you guys, what is the process for you to set up your life and business goals? And by the, by, by the way, do you only set up your business goals or do you also take the time to set up your uh, life goals? And Christian, would you like to, to start now? Sure. I'll focus on business goals because I tend to suck at the setting of life goals. Um, <laughs> uh, I kind of take the approach of, I try and be as short term in kind of thinking about tactical things that need to be done as possible and, and try and plan them weekly uh, so that I can kind of concentrate on sort of a handful of things at any one point. I'm one of these people who very quickly uh, kind of takes on too many things and then does none of them very well. Um, so tend to pick kind of one or two key things for a week and, and focus on those. Um, and then the inverse of that is, is I like planning really far ahead. Um, so kind of at two extremes, one of like knowing the exact things that I'm going to do this week, but then knowing kind of what I want the next year or two years to look like at the same time. Got it. Cool. It's, it's very interesting to usually, uh, I'm sure that all of you face uh, this kind of reflection, which is there are people that are very short-term oriented and don't believe in the long-term. The long-term, we are all that. And then you see people that are thinking in the next 25 years and kind of reverse engineering to what I need to do today in order to get closer to this 25-year uh, goals. It, it seems that in your case, Christian, you, you like to focus a lot on getting things done in, in the short term and, and speed up uh, as much as possible. Uh, what about you, Dennis? I think we uh, might already have some sort of pattern here if you're taking any notes, and I'm probably very similar to Christian. I would like to at least believe that I've done some good choices on the uh, life uh, end as well, but I'm not so sure I'm a believer of this separation of life and business, because to me at least, when people tell me that they've been able to really separate those two, that suggests to me that one of those two you like more than the other, and uh, for that you need now to separate them so well that you can go home and do what you really want to do with your family. But if that is the case, I think you've got a shit job and then you should go do something else. So I've tried very hard to meld those two together so that I live one life that consists of some time at the office, some time at home, some time traveling. But it's really just one life with a set of parameters for how I try to optimize. You can then figure out what you want to optimize on. And really, I'm just optimizing on, you know, diet coach in fridge, how well my laptop is running, whether my kids are happy, you know, not really kind of grand items. So that's certainly one comment that I, I like melding those two together. We can talk about tactics for how to succeed on that. And if I even succeeded, by the way, you should call up my wife. On the other end, I'm very much like Christian. I am just hell bent on being crystal clear with both myself, my team, my investors on where we're headed. Perhaps not on a 25-year horizon. I think I was a little bit uh, kind of dramatic perhaps, but at least on a five-year horizon, as in 
I have a good idea of where we are today, but I have a really good idea of where we're headed so that I can at least justify why it's worth being on this journey. So I spend a lot of time trying to kind of communicate that end destination. And again, like Christian, my job then, if I can do a half decent communication act of telling people where they're headed, I like spending the week on very tactical things. I said, this particular decision where I think I can add value, let me jump in and be a participant. And when I think I can't add value, then leave the team to kind of do that. I don't spend or have erased it in such a way with the, uh, with the team that I don't spend too much time on the six-week sprint or the quarterly sprint or the quarterly targets. It is either this week, this moment, this particular hire, you make it happen, Dennis, and or in four years, this is where we need to be. So uh, put me in the Christian pool here. I, I, um, I really identify with a lot of what, uh, what Christian and, and Dennis are saying. I think um, to add to Dennis's point, that, um, that thing of living an integrated life is really important. And it's something that I've, I've probably struggled with. You know, you sort of tend to compartmentalize your life and you're kind of one way with a certain group of friends and you're one way at work and you're one way with your family. Um, and, and that just, I've found over the years is creates a certain level of dissonance, you know, cause you're having to like keep up these different acts almost. So, um, one of the things that I've been thinking of in the last, you know, couple of years in particular is, is really bringing those things together. I guess on the, on the point of managing different time horizons, that middle bit in my experience has always been the most difficult. And I think that's because in some ways that's where the accountability happens you know, it's, it's really easy to talk to folks about like the grand vision behind your business and, you know, you get some goodwill and you get people excited. And then it's sort of also similarly easy to know which fire you have to put out in a given day or week, but um, really nailing that middle bit for folks, I think is important because that's ultimately what connects to their own sense of personal development and progress in their roles. And one of the areas that I think we've fallen down on as a business in the past is you know, we've done a good job of, of talking about the overall vision in pretty lofty terms. And we've, you know, often we stay busy, arguably not always on the right things, but we stay busy in sort of tactical execution mode in the here and now. But um, recently, much more of our effort and the communication has been talking about what's happening over the next six, 18, 12, you know, 12, 18, 24 months within, within our business, because I think that's what helps people feel like the vision is real and not just, uh, you know, a founder, um, you know, trying to blow sunshine up their butt, right? Which, which, happens, which happens a lot in our game. I was just going to yeah. jump in because I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in between all of you. This, this question feels very pertinent for me at the moment as uh, I have a two-week-old baby. So it was my first day back from parental leave. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, but it's funny, I... I this, this question of separation is super interesting. Like only two years ago, it was I was sitting with two other guys at my kitchen table in my house with my wife pestering our VP engineering about the layout of our wedding invitations. And it's like the notion of any kind of separation of, of business and life felt kind of absurd. And even though like, you know, a couple of years on, obviously things are a little more formalized. I actually, a huge part of me wanting to found a business was me wanting to work in a company where I could be my complete self. And where hopefully the other people who work with me wouldn't work, wouldn't have to compromise or, or affect or take on affectations to feel comfortable. And I think um, 
I think that's super important and kind of fundamental to, to building something that, that can scale ultimately. And I think just to speak to the long-term vision question, I do, and I, I take all of your cynicism about like uh, big founder stories and, you know, the, the North Star and all of that stuff. But I do, having, in my past, I think I've worked in businesses where there wasn't a kind of fundamental vision or a, a, a fundamental kind of animating factor. And you can build amazing businesses without a mission and without a plan if you're just brilliant at execution and you're focused on profitability. But I do think, you know, to speak to the, 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 uh, the name of the podcast, I don't think you can build sustainable scale without some kind of fundamental animating or motivating um, yeah. force. So I think I do think that long-term vision is, is, is key. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I guess the one um, just to, uh, you know, I guess articulate a little bit more of, of, of my point. Um, one of the things that has, has changed my thinking in this area, and I think probably speaks to supporting the sustainability of that vision over a longer period is um, actually striking like goals from your vocabulary. Um, and this is not, this is not um, you know, an original thought, so I can't take any credit for, for it, but I was, you know, I, I was reading, uh, reading somebody who I, I follow quite regularly um, and it was highlighting the differences between systems and goals and how oftentimes we get ourselves into trouble by focusing on goals because a goal is a, is a point in time and you either get there or you don't, right? And, and, and the chances of you nailing it exactly are, are, are pretty low, right? Whereas if you start thinking in terms of what systems do I need to have in place to support my vision to support this scale, um, then, you know, that puts you in a very different mindset. And so, you know, a simple, not, not that, you know, getting rich should be your goal, but, you know, some people kind of enter into startups thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to get rich. And, you know, I would say that those people really haven't spent much time in startups, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a goal. Whereas opposed like, you know, being an entrepreneur is a system, right? So you have this system where over your, you know, your life, you're kind of, you know, assembling the skills of an entrepreneur, you're, you're building businesses. And, you know, one of the end results might be that, yeah, actually one of them works out and you do, you know, you do end up with, uh, you know, creating, uh, you know, a, a lot of wealth, but um, that's something that we've been thinking a lot about within our, within our company as we look to scale internationally is, you know, what kinds of systems, rather than just saying, oh, let's go launch in the U.S. It's like, what kind of systems do we need to have in place in order to support that and make that you know, make that a credible a plan for, for us. Got it. Um, I always love to talk about this topic because there is the individual layer, which is we all know that the entrepreneurial life is a roller coaster in, in the startup side and also on the scale-up side. And usually people, people look to scale-ups as they are already the heroes and the legends and everything is going super well, but it can be super super challenging and even more difficult to run a business of in, in this moment of, of their life than in an in a startup so having a clear life plan and a kind of um, an evasion plan of someone that some, something that we can uh, put our minds out of business and look to life as something a little bit bigger than our business helps and on another side to put together a team so in the beginning, of course, it is a marriage, usually between one, two, three, four founders, but then it needs to convert into a leadership team and having, being able to understand what, what are the life goals or the life priorities of our team, it helps a lot to keep them on, on the same 
uh, tune on, on the same rhythm as we are and to cascade it down throughout the, the organization. So I'm sure that all of you, it was very important to kind of understand what was the link between life and business with your leaders in your leadership team and um, how, how it was important to understand their life. And so my question is, do you think that this is really important having this tool of a life planning in the way of engaging your leadership team to be um, with you and also to assure that your leadership team does the same exercise with the rest of your team? Or do you think that this is too personal and this is much more um, for their life uh, perspective and it should not be included in, in, in the business discussion? Dennis, for instance, or, or yeah. Sure. Uh, I certainly don't take any uh, offense should people ask me about what uh, goals I have in life outside of making my company uh, successful. I'm not so sure, uh, and in particular in the US, that you can immediately succeed on being overly kind of personal and you might actually cross some boundaries that you don't see yourself having crossed. What I do think though is that the question is honest enough and where in the past I've sometimes struggled is if you build a founding team or a leadership team mm -hmm. where you are at kind of different stages in life. Mm -hmm. We have to just both accept and recognize the fact that we are at different stages. Because some people can sleep on an air mattress at the office, and some people uh, have kind of passed that moment in life. And if we now have to kind of work together, that's kind of a silly kind of uh, illustration of it. But but obviously, there's different moments in life that makes it for a uh, it just adds unnecessary friction. So I've certainly tried to. Uh, to the best of my ability, build leadership teams that are at kind of somewhat similar stages in life. Which you add just, uh, or you almost cheat a little bit by adding some harmony that would otherwise not be there, given that we are at uh, three different stages. So certainly early on in my life, most of, uh, and this is my fifth venture, sadly, because I'm getting older, uh, but I'm doing the lifelong entrepreneur thing, we were way younger, but we were way younger and had similar kind of viewpoints. And in this setting, if I look at the leadership team, I think five out of seven all have multiple kids and they're all married or certainly have long-term kind of girlfriends or boyfriends. So it's some sort of setting for where we all had shit to do on Friday. Doesn't mean that I can't answer that kind of Slack message, but we all have real deep empathy for what might be going on after this particular meeting. So that's been the one very tactical thing that I've tried to kind of deploy over time. Um, and whenever I didn't do it, I didn't win much, however much I loved that particular candidate. Cut it. I guess, I guess to add here, kind of sort of, I had a different experience, I think, simply because so, a little bit of context is sort of I'm 24. I started this business when I was 18 or 140 something people now and I've spent kind of a good chunk of that, a good chunk of time over the last like six years building out that exec team and didn't necessarily have sort of, I guess, the luxury of hiring people who are in the same sort of phase of their life as me. Um, and I guess that was like a really challenging thing early on as, as 
as kind of my priorities in life, uh, I guess, especially in the early stage, were 100% on let's grow this business, let's scale this business. Um, and then as sort of we hired kind of more experienced senior people, um, quote unquote, the adult supervision, um, and kind of scaled scaled as a team and as a company. And I think like the, the biggest learning for me was kind of, I think you can separate this idea of, of uh, kind of where somebody is in their life generally with kind of their ambition for this role in the company that they're in. So I very much found myself hiring for alignment in what do we want to do together at Paddle over the next five years, 10 years. Um, and separating that from the idea of, okay, this person doesn't have kids, this person does, this person sort of has like different financial requirements in the short term versus long term. And I think being adaptable to the, the fact that sort of some people might need to work from home a day a week or kind of might have more immediate financial requirements from, I think, decoupling that from the the idea that I guess that I had initially when I was 18 of like, okay, if you're not here like 18 hours a day, every day, like I am, like sort of then you can't be working as hard. And it's like, that's obviously not true. Um, so I think it, it's sort of being adaptable to people's sort of scenarios because I think one, create an environment where kind of all of these things are considered and people are supported, they're going to do better work. And kind of it's easier then for them to align to the, what's the three-year, the five-year, the 10-year goal of them being at the organization rather than sort of them stressing over the immediate need of, okay, I can't pay my mortgage or whatever it is. Yeah, I guess one, I, I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense and um, something that we, you know, we, we try and do as well. I guess um, in thinking about, you know, personal, the, the personal goals that the candidate might have, um, one slightly less personal way that I, I often ask that question is, um, you know, I ask them about what they want to do after the role that I'm hiring them for. Um, you know, what does the next role look like just so that I can kind of then work back and figure out what, you know, what role this plays in their overall career narrative. Um, and, and then, you know, and, and the reason for doing that is, you know, I say, look, if I, if I kind of the more I understand about your, you know, where you want to get to and the context you're in right now and, and what you want to get out of this role, the better chance we have of providing you with opportunities that are in line with that so that you feel like you're making progress towards, you know, becoming, you know, CMO of a, you know, billion dollar venture back company or whatever the, whatever the thing is, right. That that person wants. But I think having that conversation early is really important. Um, and it also draws out some interesting things about the candidates as well and what their priorities are. Um, and it also just sort of, um, you know, calls out the elephant in the room, which is that at some point we're all going to go on and do something else. Right. And, and I think there's sometimes a little bit too much, um, you know, anxiety around acknowledging that or talking about it openly. But if you, you know, if you kind of can get it out in the open, then it's, it's generally better for everyone. Yeah, I guess I have a slightly different perspective. So I, for context, I spent the first half of my career uh, as a musician. So I spent like about a decade sharing buses with small groups of dudes um, who with absolutely no separation between my, my work and social life. Um, and actually, as I emerged out of that in my kind of mid to late 20s into I guess, the startup universe, it was absolutely glorious to be able to go home without everybody else in the band <laughs> um, and to have that kind of that, that separation. And, and it's funny because I think about it a lot. Like, like the one thing that is, is certain in startups, right, is that there will be 
times of darkness, times of adversity, times when you will need each other. Um, and I think that, that that trust or that kind of affinity with each other is completely essential. If you've failed to build that, like when the testing times come, like you're going to run into trouble, which is kind of slightly antithetical to what I'm saying about the band situation. But I agree, not, not everyone is not everyone wants to see my baby photos, although I do show everybody. <laughs> um, and I think and I think it's kind of respecting that different people build that bridge of trust in different ways. And that might be through just working closely on a project and kind of admiring each other's technical excellence, or it might be like in the lunch queues earlier today and me comparing double buggies with our head of town. And I think, I think either is okay. And I think it's certainly, I'm quite passionate about building as diverse a culture as I can. And I'm often very pleasantly surprised at the, the friendships that you see popping up and how they do cross generations to demography and whatever else. So, so I, think, I, think, I think the fundamental thing is I think it's okay to talk about babies with people who want to talk about babies, but I think you've got to find a way to connect with everybody at some level. Yeah, the audience might be asking themselves. So the topic is how top CEOs stay productive all week long. And we are discussing a lot, you know, business and life goals. We are also discussing the way we put together our leadership teams. And I would say that this is really part about productivity. So if we are not clear about what we want to achieve, and if we don't have the right team around us, it would be very difficult to be productive. So let's move or let's jump into the execution side uh, of the topic, which is what kind of tips do you have to in order to assure that you have control over your agenda, but at the same time that you keep being open to anybody in your team or, or your clients or investors to reach out to you and, you know, being open, being present, being available to everybody who wants to talk to you. Um, Christian. I think kind of, it's kind of a good segue from what we were talking about, because I actually think the biggest driver of productivity for me has been hiring the right people, especially at the immediate level below. Um, and also like in supporting functions sort of like horizontally, but I think the, the way to have a crazy schedule where you're in kind of back to back 20, 30 meetings, um, 20, 30 minute meetings sort of about a bunch of different stuff is probably indicative that you don't have the right infrastructure around you as, as an individual. So I definitely say one, the biggest productivity hack that I guess is is to just hire really great functional leadership and kind of lots of different areas and I think the second thing that is sort of related to that is is this I think really difficult when you go from that transition of being like a startup to being a scale-up um, is to learn to let go of like you don't need to be involved in every decision in every discussion as much as you'd like to be um, and there's real value and merit in, in just trusting people, letting them screw it up if kind of that is the outcome that you're worried about uh, and then kind of learning from that. But it's, it's definitely letting go and, and letting the people that you hire kind of have autonomy to make decisions and, and do stuff without you. Got it. Who wants to, to go next? So I've uh, been able to, in this particular startup where both Alex and uh, Matt, my co-founders, we did a prior venture before this to create a setting slightly different to certainly what I've done in the past. So the way that Alex and I split it, have created some sort of setting that I haven't been able to kind of create before, which is that anything which is inside these uh, four walls, he's in charge of. Anything outside these four walls, 
I'm in charge of. And that sounds so simplistic that it's almost uh, naive, but it certainly worked well for us over the last kind of four years. And it suggests that I run the board, I run any new investors, I run the press, I run any new hires. And anything which uh, doesn't walk in the front door in the morning, I will kind of uh, work on. And the wonderful thing about most of those things is that they are not on a recurring schedule. And anything which is on some sort of recurring schedule is just extremely expensive. You can set up all sorts of uh, recurring events, whether that is your weekly executive meeting or the bi-weekly sales meeting or the bi-monthly kind of uh, catch up with the board or the monthly take a walk with one of your board members. There's just so many things which you can set up on a recurring schedule that if you can somehow create a setting where you can escape that and everything becomes an ask, a positive ask, then you might have uh, created some freedom that you just really didn't know existed. And uh, it's suddenly of the thousand things that we've made here that just didn't pan out. The one thing that certainly panned out for me was this idea of uh, escaping that recurring schedule and have everything be an ask. And uh, if I uh, get to the other side of this venture, end up doing a new one, that is certainly going to be the one thing I'm going to re-implement, if at all possible. Got it. Daniel? Yeah, my stuff isn't so different. I think look, like job one is to try and get yourself out of the critical path of everything. And um, because you know, odds on, you know, given the kind of wavy schedule of a founder, like if you're in a fundraising process, then you, you can't have all of your product decisions being bottlenecked. So I think I think job one is to hire amazing people, get out of the way. Like I certainly at this point recognize that I have more bad ideas than good ideas compared to the people who surround me. Um, and so really now you're like in the process of trying to optimize the environment that they inhabit and the relationships between them and make sure that things are synchronized and that you maintain this overall overarching vision. So I think it's funny, I, the one-to-one -one thing makes me laugh because I remember when I, I first became a manager in my last business, I had 10 or 12 reports and I started, you know, I've just read the hard thing about hard things and I was going to have good quality one-to-ones. And after about three months, I was like, shit, this is, this is a disaster. <laughs> Like all that happens is these guys just ask me for things. So I canceled all of them <laughs> um, and, decided, and decided I would just do it by need and necessity. And basically I would just Skype them when I needed something. Um, and much to my chagrin, that didn't work brilliantly for me. And actually what I found was that I, I agree. Like if you're having one-to-ones just for the sake of it, just to walk around the block and talk about your feelings, like you're probably not getting, it's probably not the optimal use of your time, but creating a, a kind of safe and structured space where the people you trust most and the people you are giving off all of this fundamental responsibility for you know, your dreams, um, where you can communicate about the stuff that really matters to each other is, is super important. So if all the things I protect, it's the one-to-ones with these team leaders in the business. And I agree, almost everything else, like you want to get out of the way of. Interesting. Yeah, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, banging the people drum as well. But um, I think getting a, you know, getting a team around you that can um, be, you know, predictive about where the business needs to go and sort of jump on things before they emerge is, is absolutely critical, I guess, for, in terms of my own productivity and, um, you know, contributing to, to that overall um, team structure, you know, one of the, one of the unique things I think about being a founder CEO is that you get a perspective of, of all these different groups. And obviously you, um, you know, were setting or had a big part in the overall vision of the business. And so 
there's a, a large degree to which you need to, you know, continue to help people course correct. I think, you know, as you know, information is being synthesized and and communicating between the different parts of the business, and and that's a real, you know, that's a real challenge. I think to to, to be able to do that, and it requires, um, a, you know, you know, a, a different a different space. I think in order to be able to um, stay on top of that. The, the cadence around that, um, you know, one thing that I, I always do is, is I just, you know, I try and schedule time out of the office, um, which has been incredibly difficult, particularly given that I spent the first six years of this role as a COO. So I was very, very operational, very tactical, um, but getting that time outside of the, the office to pick my head up and, and really question myself on, you know, what is the one thing that's going to make everything else easier? Again, not my idea, but, um, you know, I found it incredibly, incredibly helpful. And then just sort of having some sort of loose framework, um, you know, to do a quick health check on, on the business, right? Sometimes I'll just draw a grid or whatever and, and kind of think about, you know, okay, what's going on in the go-to-market, you know, how's, how's marketing functioning? How's new business functioning? How's customer success? How's you know, account management on upsell. And, and that's just a quick temperature check on what's happening. And the, the, the trick then is actually then saying, all right, I'm going to actively ignore these six things um, that I know probably need to be addressed. And those either get delegated or, or pushed out for another day and really, you know, zero in on, you know, helping to create more connective tissue to move the needle on the things that, you know, are the priority at that particular point in time. And, and a lot of that for me personally just comes down to, you know, it comes down to um, scheduling and, and maintaining some routine outside of work that, you know, make sure that I'm staying reasonably, uh, reasonably healthy and energized and on my game when I, when I come to the office. Just to, just to latch on to uh, one of the comments from before where certainly agree on this, task really for us in being able to kind of course correct or somebody be a little bit too far on the left. The one thing certainly I've picked up later in life, perhaps over the last decade or so, is this uh, acceptance that if I go around course correcting other people, who's course correcting me then? Because it seems unrealistic to assume that I don't need to be course correcting. I think that's naive. And it's just rare that you surely take input and uh, you try to kind of evaluate the input or whatever data is being kind of presented to you. But when are you truly being kind of course corrected? And I spent a lot of time trying to kind of think about how do I kind of get that and when do I course correct and how do I kind of take note of me having course corrected? And there's certainly been few moments, even though I see the destination so clearly that the path to kind of getting there and the kind of what I've envisioned wasn't perhaps you know, the path, path with the least friction, perhaps there's the path with uh, slightly more friction and somebody else needs to kind of course correct me, but that's not been easy, but I've actually tried to kind of lean into settings where somebody slightly smarter on some function where, no, I didn't spend 18 years in product management. Doesn't mean I didn't touch product over the last 25 years, but it's not really all of the books I read, but it was certainly all of the books she read. And that has been uh, something that, and I'm certainly not suggesting that I've perfected yet, but I've tried to kind of lean into and kind of pick up on and try to kind of 
really take note on when I changed my opinion and kind of course corrected for the remainder of the team based on somebody having kind of poked me. So I, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. I guess to what extent does your does your leadership team um, fulfill that function for you? Amazing. So I think uh, I, just quickly one of one here actually, but uh, the, um, the the two most difficult positions for me certainly uh, to hire for, and it's always been the case, and perhaps it's just not the case for you guys. It's just. Uh, a defect on, on my end is that it's always been very hard to hire head of sales, given that early on in any venture, and I've been the founder of all of my ventures, you close that first dozen or so kind of deals yourself, the first thousand, if you kind of have a consumer style uh, type uh, company. So finding somebody to kind of take over that job and then finding the head of product. And those two positions are certainly ones where way early on, I think I ended up hiring people that were very similar to me in thinking, because really what I wanted was just gonna have an extension of myself and just having you know, more clock cycles on me. And it was not really somebody owning the function. That's really almost kind of flipped that on its head of late trying to hire, say, a head of product. And where I've changed my opinion the most, say, even just in the last half decade, have been on product choices where. I spent some time, I have an intimate knowledge of the product, I saw the first pixel or the first kind of prediction, but then really intimately having knowledge of it and being able to kind of course correct me have been truly enlightening. Yeah, it's the same for me in terms of the hardest hire that I ever had to make was sort of our chief product officer. And kind of, it was the same thing of, of if I kind of think, think now about sort of who do I disagree with the most frequently on short-term items and agree with most fundamentally on the long-term things? It's sort of the person who runs product here. It's we fight kind of on a weekly basis about what's the most important thing for us to work on right now and almost never even need to discuss what's the most important thing for us to work on in terms of the grand vision of the next like three to five years. And I think that's been a really, really difficult thing to find because uh, you want the person who's as similar to you in terms of executing that grand sort of plan that you set out when you started the company, um, but is fundamentally more qualified than you to figure out how you get there in the sort of planning the next week, the next month, the next quarter. And unfortunately, I need to control your agendas and time is almost uh, over. But before we go, I'd like to ask you very quickly, 10 seconds for each of you, what kind of productivity act would you suggest yourself if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself uh, in the beginning of the last venture that you are involved in at this stage? So what would you tell yourself in order to improve your productivity, uh, Justin? Um, I'll give you two quick ones. Um, one is uh, spend the first 30 minutes of the day thinking about what you need to do that day and that week and, uh, uh, and identify the thing that's most important. Um, so, you know, I keep a, keep a running order of, of that list and I, I spend, you know, my mornings generally out of the office, just kind of going through that and looking at it. The second is um, block out when you're going to reply to email. Don't sit in front of your email all day. So I try and do email at 
you know, specific times so that I'm not, you know, I can, I don't have that temptation of having to reply to it you know, the minute it comes in. Thank you, Justin. Christian. Uh, I would basically earlier start doing this thing that I started doing maybe two years ago, which is about every three months or so, I draw like a pie chart of how I'm spending my time uh, and a pie chart of how I would like to be spending my time. And then kind of my goal over the next, over like the next like two or three weeks from when I draw that is to make the sort of the pie chart of how I am spending my time look as close as possible to how I want to be. And that's been like a really good forcing factor in like who I should hire and who I should sort of like delegate stuff that I don't enjoy doing to. Um, so it'd be doing that as early as possible. Perfect, Daniel. Um, so my best hack is now I play the piano for an hour a day with my phone in a different room and a quietly, horribly mangled Chopin to the horror of my wife. Um, and honestly, I just wish I'd start 10 years ago, I'd be killing it and I would have been better at business and I'd be able to play Chopin. So no, I wish I'd start earlier. Awesome. And Dennis, apart from using x.ai, uh, <laughs> what, what do you say? <laughs> So uh, first, let me go into my uh, half hour uh, pitch here. Can I share some slides as well? Uh, you should certainly go- uh, It's a you now. <laughs> yeah. no. So uh, go exercise. You can figure out exactly when it fits into your schedule. I go uh, exercise every morning for 50 minutes and it is so easy to kind of cheat on and it seems like tomorrow is a better day and i read somewhere that it's probably not good to do every day anyway and all sorts of excuses but whether you go take a run do the weights doesn't matter but that is certainly a machine which i've been on for years on end and uh, it will do you better and we all know it it's not even it's not even a debate really but uh, it's just uh, some sort of catalyst that can kind of catapults you into this setting before it becomes a habit. On the uh, email theme, uh, if we pick that one, I'm an inbox zero kind of guy, as in I don't leave the office without having emptied my inbox. And that can seem almost uh, kind of masochistic, as in why would you do that, Dennis? What kind of life are you living? That sounds sad. Go do something else. Uh, but for me, it's not really getting to zero is that I can get to some state where I now know no other individual in the universe expects anything from me. And I can spend all my time thinking about whatever I want, the next customer, the next investor, the next feature, the next, whatever that might be. But I can be so empty given that there's no real requirements. And that had worked uh, well. So I actually try to really get to that early. And sometimes I can hit it at noon and then I'm out of email and I can just walk around thinking about what to do next. And uh, good random things happen from that. I said, and I'm sure the sales team fucking hates it, but I said, I'll pick up something from the sales calendar. Yeah, let me go sit on this sales call or let me go do this on the customer success team. Let me go answer some. And it was an amazing way of closing the show <laughs> of how to be productive. So Dennis just moved and is sitting down with, with the sales team now. 
And <laughs> thank you so much, guys. I just passed the words back to, to Ryan. All right. Fun talk, everybody. And I've got a whole bunch of notes. So I always have these weird strategic notes. And I heard a couple things, and I'm calling it the verses. And what it ends up being is the scale teeter-totter. Okay. So I was listening and I was pulling out specific words and I found that I was able to put the words on one side or the other. And I'm going to give a few examples. Compromise on one side, roles on the other side, comfortable on one side, tactical on the other side, harmony on one side, long-term on the other side, ambition on one side, requirements on the other side. And it was fun to see when there would be a certain word or theme that was brought up, somehow somebody would bring up the opposite. And it really is this topic of balance and you can't have one side of the fence without the other. And then it was fun to see within the tips, uh, you know, you had everything that you would assume from hiring great leaders. Uh, I like this efficiency with time and recruitment um, or, or recurring meetings, temperature checking, strategically ignoring, um, and even jumping off the Zoom call when you're done with your last comment. I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies that are going on here. But the one big thing that I took away from it is that balance is truly a balance. And you can't sit there and say, well, I am going to work out every day without understanding the implications of that, whether it's positive or negative on the other side. Or I am going to zero out my inbox, but then what is the flip side of that do for me? So I think as a takeaway for everybody listening, that balance is truly a balance. And if you're not identifying that one side has this corresponding or other side of it, then you might become imbalanced more quickly and more often. So it was great to hear the perspectives and it was this sort of equalizing that happened along the way. There's a lot of agreements and people were doing different things, but from one ying, there is another yang. So I would say when it comes to balance, it is all about that scale. And here on the Scale Up Heroes podcast, you're hearing it from people that are doing it in real life. And it's so fun to hear people start three, four years ago and now have hundreds of employees, but you are dealing with the exact same problems that you dealt with four years ago and the exact same problems that you'll deal with in four years and the exact same problem that people who are thinking about starting a company will be facing. So it's fun to see this collective group think come together to help everybody live a more balanced life. And if I had to pull them all out into one single one that I think resonates the most, it is take an hour to do something whether it's playing piano, whether it's working out, whether it's clearing your head. Because if you don't create that balance, that one hour off, uh, it's going to compile over the next 10 or 20 years. And you could have been that much greater at something. And I think that that truly is the balance to be great both inside and outside of work. So if you want to hear more amazing insights like this across the board from a Monday morning verbal cup of coffee for your brain, you can catch more of these or catch up. If you need something to do during an hour, and that might be watching the, the Scale Up Academy uh, here on this amazing podcast with great people. So check out scaleupacademy.io for more. Uh, gentlemen, this has been totally fun. I hope that we all connect on LinkedIn and maybe I'll be out in London soon. And if you guys are ever at the West Side, you know who to call here. All right, Miguel, what a great time. Everybody, thank you so much. Get back to that productivity. And remember, for every ying, there is a yang. So get TNC surf style and, and combine them together. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you soon. Take it easy.